good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tweet to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That's right. And you put a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We really wish you would. We love hearing from folks all over the country and also from the Baton Rouge area. That's it. Get a different perspective of what's going on around the country with automobiles in general. That's right. Of course, I can't imagine the weather being too much nicer than what it is right here, right now. It could be about 10, 15 degrees cooler for wow. me, but i tell you what, I, <laughs> I like this. 50-degree mornings in, in, oh, I like the 40s, man. in the May is pretty amazing for South Louisiana. Oh, it let is. Let me tell you. This is a fluke for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's not too much more of this coming, but boy, I tell you, you're sure enjoying it today. <laughs> oh, i tell you what. Made it hard to work last week. Oh, I guarantee it's great, boy. Let's go to our phone lines with Tim. Good morning, Tim. Morning. I have a 2005 Chevy Silverado half ton, okay. one base single cap, mm-hmm. and the problem I'm having is my right tires are wearing out twice as fast as my left tires. And I don't hot rod the truck; I don't peel out nothing like that. Yes, sir. But this is a third set of tires that's doing this on this truck. Tim, when you say right side, you talking front and rear? Yes, sir. Okay, you probably rotate pretty regular, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, what's most likely is going to be the issue, Tim, is you're going to have a problem on either the front or the rear, and if you rotate it, of course, once a radial tire starts to wear, even though it's put in a place where it wouldn't wear, it'll continue to wear. It's just the nature of the tire. Because the belts are wound radially in it, You know, it conforms to the shape of its wear. So what you're going to need to do is just check and find why that one tire is wearing. Left side's giving you decent service? Yes, sir. Yeah, I would really kind of suspect it's more likely going to be something in the rear it could be the rear end housing is bent we've seen that a number of times doesn't take that much to bend the rear end housing believe me the reason i say that is that most things in the front end will affect both tires equally not everything if the camber is off on the right front wheel or left front wheel it'll wear that one tire if the toe is set now if toe is off it's not going to be off on one wheel it's just going to split it between wheels so it wears both tires same thing in the rear but in the rear, if you got both front tires pointing straight and one rear tire pointing straight, it just tends to drag that other tire. So any decent automotive shop that does alignment worth their weight and salt can check that. What happens a lot of times, Tim, you bring it in for just a regular alignment to, say, a normal tire store, and you say check the alignment. Well, they know they can't adjust the rear because it's straight rear end, so they don't check it. They just set the front and give it back to you. Well, that's really not right. Being we're a frame shop, we can fix anything. So we always check all four wheels. And you'd be amazed how many times we find bent rear end houses. That's pretty common. Something as simple as maybe someone threw a chain around the rear end at some point in time to try to pull somebody out. I mean, it's just mild steel, and it's probably only maybe 16-gauge steel. Yeah. It's designed to roll down the road. It'll do that forever, but it won't take a whole lot of pulling. You know, Jacking it up improperly, running off, hitting a curb, almost anything like that can bend that rear housing. Start wearing a rear tire. Of course, it gets a pattern established. You rotate to the front, it keeps wearing. You bring the front to the back, it starts wearing again. So one side just keeps wearing and wearing and wearing. Ought to be relatively easy to find, though. Okay. All right. I bought the truck new, and I've had that, that problem since the original tires. Yes, sir. Well, you I've, know. I've seen a lot of the rear ends bent oh, new trucks. That's right. In it, fact, we actually, I was working a dealership, and we took a Astro van off a transport truck, and both the rear axles were bent in it. Yeah. Somebody tied it down Somebody, too tight. They tied them down too tight to transport them and bent the axles yeah. on it. They throw oh, okay. a strap around that rear right. end on one side and crank it down real tight. When those trucks leave the factory, there's actually a guy sitting there, and he's watching how tight and where they tie them down. But what happens, old truck driver, he's going down the interstate, 70 miles an hour, all those trucks get to bouncing a little bit, and he can't go any faster. So he gets out there with a 
pipe and cranks down. <laughs> yeah. Now you can run 90 miles an hour, you know. But, yeah, things do happen, and, again, it ought to be relatively simple to find. You just need someone who's going to take the time to check all four wheels. And I know a lot of times we get vehicles in at AGCO, and they have a problem like that, and they say, man, I've had it checked. And what's happening is that because the average shop cannot adjust something, they don't check it. They say, well, it's not adjustable anyway. Why check it? Well, because it could be off. Just because you can't adjust it doesn't mean you shouldn't check it. So you check all four wheels, you're going to find a problem. And I just would be willing to guess that's going to be in the rear. Okay. All righty. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate the information. All right, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? That's one of those things. It happens. Absolutely. Cars are what they are, and like you were saying, they get tied down too tight, and things start to bend. I remember years and years and years ago, we had a bunch of, I think it was Dodge trucks, that had been tied down, and I don't know how many fits on a trailer load, maybe 15 trucks or whatever, but it was probably close to that many trucks, and they were twisted. They uh-huh. had pulled them down unequally on, on the two sides and twisted the frames, and they were all leaning pretty bad. Right. And the dealership had gotten with Chrysler on it, and Chrysler said, we'll see if you can find a local frame shop that can straighten them. So We straightened a bunch of those. Oh, yeah. They brought two of them <laughs> two at, at a time. time. We'd do one, then we'd do the other, and they'd bring two more, and we finally got them all done. But, right. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty good week for us. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> Things like that, when you look at them, they look really, really robust. You look at that rear end housing, and it's about three inches in diameter. And it looks pretty sturdy, pretty stout, yeah. but it's only mild steel, sure. and it's pretty thin mild steel. All right, you can actually take a chain and a 10-ton port of power, oh, yeah. and you can bend them just about anywhere you want. Oh, yeah, well, we straighten quite a few of them. If they're not too badly bent, we can put them on a frame machine and actually straighten the rear and house. We right. straighten a number of them. Of course, if it's bent too bad, if it's bent more than one plane, most time they have to be replaced. But it takes surprisingly low amount of force to actually bend. I know when I used to do that work, I was watching the pressure gauge and 2,500 pounds of pressure. I'm moving this thing a half an inch. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like to do it on a alignment machine right. where I can watch the readings on That's it as right. I'm straightening it. Mm-hmm. And you can change the toe over an inch. Yeah, just a little bit of pressure. Just a little bit of pressure. Yeah, it's pretty soft stuff. You won't think about it as bending, but it sure does. And, again, sliding into a curb, anything that would damage a tire and wheel can easily bend, oh, bend the rear and housing. Bend the housing, sure. And another thing, I see a lot of times someone gets stuck in the mud, and, well, I'll get you out. And they right. throw a chain around it, we're in, thinking that's going to hold it. And, boy, good, hard snatch on it and wham <laughs> yeah tubes bent yeah and it just slowly starts wearing tires from then on and of course you've forgotten that sure you don't relate it happened two years ago three back years to ago. what happened mm-hmm. let's go back to our phone lines with jesse good morning jesse good morning sir. yes sir got an old five yukon i'm getting a message service tire monitor okay, okay. Mm-hmm. and i go through my check mm-hmm. and it starts out left front right front Left rear, right rear, and then back to left front. Shouldn't go back to the left front. Right. When you get done with left rear, the process is over. Mm-hmm. The horn should blow twice when you get done setting the left rear tire. Well, I'm not even getting a response from the horn now, and I yeah. checked the batteries in the sensors, uh-huh. and all the batteries uh, passed the test. How'd you check them? With the blow tube, about $300 tube, I used when I rotate my tires to mm-hmm. reset okay. my sensors. How are you getting into the system? I go through, just like the book says, I turn the key, put the parking brake on, uh-huh. put the key on run, uh-huh. and then hit the light switch four times. Okay, and it, the horn blows twice? It blows, but that's it now. It, okay. From then on, it won't respond to any 
even letting the air out of the tires or tooling it and putting a magnet on it, the whole works. Right. It sounds like something's gone away in the module itself, the receiver module. The right. transmitters seem to be working. You said the batteries were up. And will the tool signal the sensors? We got a tool at the shop that we can actually take and go up to any GM vehicle and right. get up with the sensor, press the button, and it will actually detect the sensors there whether you're in the learn process or not. Okay. Now, yeah, does, it'll do that. With, okay. Uh, out all that being on, it'll go in and tell you what the air pressure is. And if all okay, four yeah, of them are reading, them are reading the sensors it's are got good, to be in the module. Be in the receiver module. Right. What, what are you looking at? What? How big a job is that? And I'd go in and replace that. We actually need to get in there and diagnose the system first. It should have set a code somewhere else in the body module that will only be retrievable with a Tech 2 scan tool. Right. So we need to go in and see if there's any codes in it and go from there. Yeah. But it sounds like the receiver module's gone dead. Well, not working for some reason. It could be a right. bad ground wire. It could be a blown fuse. It could be all kinds of things. It could be the body module not seeing it. I mean, it could be corrupt data on the Class 2 data network. All kinds of things. You may find something totally unrelated just bringing down that particular part of the network. So you'd have to go in and diagnose it and find out. But for whatever reason, the receiver's not seeing the mod. could have even lost his program. Right. Right. Okay, then. I'll right. get it lined up. And will it take a couple of days to get it in? Or? You best call a couple of days in advance. This time of year, we're probably three or four days booked up. I would say I think we've got some time towards the end of next week. Okay. All right. do that then. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank All you. right. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive Eye, we would love to have you. Our wonderful people for that little yeah, system there. Yeah, mandate. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happens is those systems are all getting a few years old. I think they came mandatory in 07. Uh, yeah, I believe So they're all getting seven years old, and they're starting to give just an inordinate amount of problems. And what most people elect to do, and I can't say that I blame them, is just to ignore it. Uh-huh. Because they're not going to cough up the kind of money it costs to fix it. Well, you're looking at, what, $100 per sensor on a GM? Depending on the type of car, GM is fairly reasonable. I want to say they're $80 or $90 a sensor. Well, then you got Ford is much more expensive. Ford's close to $200 for some of their sensors. Uh-huh. Toyota is up there, 100 something plus. They're well, pretty expensive times four or five sensors. And then plus installation, plus diagnosis, on and on and on. Right. You can easily drop. Eight nine hundred bucks into a system that you really? can do the same exact thing with a gauge in about five minutes' time once exactly. a month and, and be better off. But what has happened is that because they are expensive to fix and because they are a real pain to maintain, people just ignore them. Sure. So they do absolutely no good at all because now the light's on and they're ignoring it. So even if they have a low tire, they're not going to know. The system they had before they mandated this particular system actually read wheel speed through the ABS sensors for the, the brakes. Right. It was a passive system, which was actually very, very good because all of the hardware was there. They only had to make a slight software change because as a tire gets low on air, it gets shorter. Uh-huh. And so it rotates faster to Correct. keep up with the L3. So by reading the ABS sensors... They could tell that they had a low tire. Sure. And that was, to me, a much, much better system. I guess somebody's brother-in-law owned a sensor company or something. <laughs> we, we, they did the same job. Yeah, we just... don't make all these sensors and sell them to everybody, and we right. don't get it mandated, so they got to buy it. And There you I, go. Who knows, man? <laughs> yeah, just to me, it seems like a whole lot of money for, for a little benefit. A little bit of foolishness. Let's go back to the phone lines of Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Hello. Yes, sir. You helped me with my 72 Volkswagen Super Beetle a while back Wow. There. A couple okay. of years ago. I'm saying it's uh, been many years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I got a 2006 Ford Fusion, and okay. uh, the speedometer's not working. Okay. And I want to know how best to maybe Does tackle that. Does the odometer work, Curtis, or just the, the speedometer? 
The odometer, uh, most of the time it doesn't. It's digital, mm-hmm. and then it'll work sometime for a short short while. Well, what I need long. to know, do both of them go out at the same time? There's the odometer and the speedometer both quit working at once? Yeah, you, pretty much, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thing, yeah. If both of them go out at once, Curtis, the most likely cause is going to be either the vehicle speed sensor or the wiring going to the vehicle speed sensor. Right. Because if the instrument head went out, normally either the speedometer or the odometer, normally not both will go out at one time. It's possible they could. If a main chip in the board went out, they may both go down. But most of the time you're looking at something else. What I would start out with is go under the vehicle, look at the transmission where that speed sensor goes in. Right. And make sure there's no oil leaking there. Because Fords have a little bit of problem where the sensor goes into transmission, it will actually leak some oil out, and it'll get on that connector, and that oil will swell the rubber up, and it makes a bad connection. Right. And moisture and stuff starts to get in, so it starts intermittently dropping out on you. Right. And if that's the case, you have to repair the leak, change the pigtail, and then you'll be okay. Now, the sensor itself can also just go bad. You'd have to have a Ford IDS where you can go in, drive the car, and read the sensor to see if that's the problem. Right. And the same tool can also check the control head you know, in the dash and all that, but not a real big thing to diagnose and probably not too big a deal to fix as long as it's not the head and the speedometer. You know, that gets kind of pricey. you got to change the instrument cluster for that. But uh-huh. as long as the speed sensor or wire, you're not going to be too big a deal. Okay, well, I'm looking at maybe the pick deal like you, you were saying, mm-hmm. and I was thinking that myself. It is possible. Know? Mm-hmm. And Motocraft generally sells those pigtails, so what you do, if it is swole up and bad, you just cut the pigtail off and you go in and just solder the new one in. And it's really important to find the leak because if you don't, it's going to do the same thing to the new one. You know, right. it's, it's fluid getting on it. Some kind of petroleum's getting on the rubber. That's what's swelling it up and making it bad. Okay, well, that sounds good. Sam. All right. Motocraft makes that, and I can, I they can do. cut it off. And, yes, yeah, so just solder a new one in there if that's the problem. Okay, well, All right. thank you very much. All right, Curtis. All right, Thanks, man. It. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACCO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACCO Automotive. ACCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, two tools. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? We've got all our lines wide open. We've got a nice, fresh mind. That's got right. A good night's sleep. Right, right now. <laughs> two cups a- of coffee. I'm ready to go, boy. <laughs> <laughs> right now is a perfect time to call. That's right. Rip roared and ready to go. You go ahead and give us a call. See if you can stump the chumps. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking earlier about the weather and how pretty it is out today, but uh-huh. we know that the hot weather is coming. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's, it's coming. It's, it's going to be here. 
it's a good idea is to start getting your car ready right now. Don't wait until August when your radiator's steaming over or whatever right. to try to fix it because at that time, if that's ever occurred, happened to you, you know that when you go to the shop, you're probably going to have a week before you can get in because every shop in this area, for sure, is it's just absolutely inundated. Because the heat kills cars. And not only that, right now, you have time to choose where you want to take your vehicle to be fixed. Right, at a convenient time and a convenient, going to be off Friday after next. Well, you can make your appointment Friday after next. Sure. Very convenient for you. And you can pick and choose and and what have you. But some of the things you want to check this time of year, number one is take a look at the radiator in your car. Because virtually all radiators today are made out of plastic. Plastic. A lot of people don't realize that. Right. The tanks on them are plastic and they're actually crimped over to an aluminum core. That is correct. And if you take and give it a real good, careful look, let's say that radiator is seven to nine years old. Okay. It's approaching the end of its life. Uh Uh-huh. Some of them will make 10 years, but not too many of them make it past that. Take a good look at that tank and see if it's got little tiny cracks. We call it crazing. And you can see the black paint is kind of gone. It's turned sort of a grayish, grayish, yellowish-looking color, which is the color of the plastic or nylon they use to make the radiator. If it's got little tiny cracks all in it, even if it's not leaking right now, it's a matter of time. Sure, because as that system works, it actually heats and cools. And when it heats and cools, that plastic expands and contracts. And you take anything and you keep working it back and forth, eventually it's going to crack at its weakest well, sure, part. Well, sure, just like a paper clip. You sit sure. there and keep bending it back and forth, it's going to crack. And if it's got the little cracks in it now, it's a matter of time before it just blows out. Sure. And when it does, it's going to be on a really hot day, and you're going to be late for an important business meeting, and on and on and on it goes. So if you're upwards of seven to nine years old, go ahead and start checking that radiator real close now, and don't wait for it to go out. Now, stains, like the little white calcium stains when, when coolant leaks out, or a little pink one if it's a Toyota, or a little orange one if it's a Chevrolet, or green one, or whatever color it might be, any of those are signs of a pending problem also. Made hoses much, much, much better than they used to be with the EPDM rubber. Hoses last almost the life of the car now. Right. But at the same time, they've eliminated clamps in many cases, which gave very few problems. They've gone to these little quick connects. Because at the factory, when they assemble a car, a quick connect, they just pop it on, and they're ready to go. Sure, they're done. Pay somebody to tighten a clamp and all that. Quick connects give a lot of problems. Right. Far far more problems than hoses do. And they're made of the same type of plastic that the radiator tanks are. That's right. So, And be real careful around them. You don't want to do this when the engine's hot because if you touch one of them and it breaks, that scalding fluid is coming out. It's it's going to spray all over It's going to get all over you and everything else. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty for sure. But take a look at those. Any leakage, any signs of cracking, don't wait. Car is eight, nine years old, it's giving you good service. Right. But it's like anything else. It's not going to run forever. The point is, you can elect, I'm going to fix this before it breaks. And right, We're being proactive at this point. Right. And seven to nine years, you ought to be on your least second cooling service by then. Well, that's right. So you're due for another one anyway. Now's the time because if the radiator goes out with new coolant in it, that coolant's gone. That's right. And let's say you're on a 12-mile bridge between here and New Orleans and it goes out and you can't stop. Exactly. Well, by the time you drive it over to the other side where you can stop, it's you don't blow a head gas, it's going to burn the engine up. Sure. So you just took a three, $400 radiator replacement and turned it into a $8,000 engine replacement. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take long. Or a totaled car. And that happens quite a bit. Sure. Let's take a couple of these phone calls okay. we'll talk a little bit more about getting ready for summer when we come back. We got Russ on the line. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, sir. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I have two little things I can, I, I can 
not sure if they're both together or not. Okay. Whenever I'm at a red light and I take off slow, and tr- like in traffic and stuff like that, I hear a knock in. If I got it, it makes a grinding noise, and it, it'll pull to the right. You know, kind of what kind of car is this, Russ? It's a 2000 Ford Explorer. I would need to hear the noise. Right. Does it sound like it's in the transmission area at all? Yeah, that's about where it sounds like it's coming from, from that area. Is it four-wheel drive, by any chance? It, it is four-wheel drive, yes. Okay, sir. yeah, so you got okay. another chain of transfer case right. on that also. Those give a good bit of trouble. Yeah, that kind of sounds like that, Russ. I would certainly get that looked into real, real quick, because if it is that chain and you catch it right now, it may be as simple as tearing it down, putting seals in it, putting a chain in it, and going about your business. But if that chain jumps over the sprocket and breaks the case, you're buying a new transfer case. So I would get that looked at real quick, especially if it sounds driveline related, because it sounds like the, the chain maybe in the transfer case is jumping over the sprocket. Yeah, I mean, it's like whenever I, I take off real fast, I hear that Yeah, it's jumping over that sprocket. I'll tell you what, i got to take a quick little break, but I'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got Mike has been patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a problem with my cruise control on my 08 Tundra. Okay. A few months ago, it started acting up. It would mostly not work, but occasionally it would. Yes, sir. So I brought it into the dealer, and they diagnosed it as a faulty switch. Okay. They replaced the switch. Mm-hmm. I pick it up, and it starts doing it all over again almost immediately. Okay. Well, it took me a few months to get back to them, but mm-hmm. I finally did, and they diagnosed it again as a faulty switch. Okay. Same story. I pick it up, and almost immediately it starts doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting tired of going back to have the switch replaced when, obviously, there's something else going on. Yeah, it could be, Mike, that they are going in with, say, a scan tool and reading that it's not seeing the switch, which doesn't necessarily mean the switch is bad. It could be one of the wires inside the steering column has a bad connection, and so it doesn't see the switch. That'll certainly do that. And it just kind of takes a different level of diagnostics to find that kind of stuff, particularly if it's intermittent. But what happens, and I'm not trying to paint anybody with a broad brush or discourage anybody, but in a dealership, most of the time, those guys work on a straight commission basis, and they get paid a percentage of what they do. So they're always rushing, rushing, rushing. 
and they plug in a scan tool, and it says no command from the switch. They hit the switch. It doesn't make a command, so they change the switch. Well, when they put it back together, they've moved the connection around, and therefore it works now. Yeah. So they kick it out the door. Right. Now it's working. It wasn't working when it came in. It was working now. This was the code. Logical to think that we got it fixed. Well, you go down the road, and the same problem occurs. It takes a lot, lot more effort to find a bad wire or a bad connection, and it can be almost impossible to find if it's intermittent, you know, if it doesn't do it all the time. Because you'd have to go in, hook up devices to it where you can read, and then get in there and try to move the wires or actually duplicate the problem. But I would suspect that that's more likely going to be the cause. There's, there's a small chance that the module itself can lose sight of the switch. In other words, it can just not see the switch even though it's there, and which would also set the same code. But in either case, Mike, you've already paid them to fix it, and they didn't fix it. So at very least, they owe you some free diagnostic time. I would go back and just talk with the service manager, not necessarily the service writer, but actually speak to the service manager. Hey, guys, look, I've been back twice. You know, I've still got the same problem. It happens again almost immediately. Is there maybe a different guy you could put on it? Or if I leave it with you, again, how often does it occur, Mike? Usually occurs. Most of the time. Like the other day, I took the... Yeah, if they uh, got it for a whole day, it should do it. Oh, it, it, it'll act up yeah. almost immediately every time. I mean, the other day, I went to Houston, mm-hmm. and I had played with it for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And it started to work. What I would... Uh, first time, my first time I, I stepped on the brake, it quit, and then it wouldn't... I had to play with it again for another 10 minutes before it started to work. Right. And see, that could even be something like the brake light switch hanging right. up, because if it sees brake application, it's not going to let the crews engage. Right. Even though you're pressing a button. So when you press the button, you don't get a signal, which may look like a switch, but it's not getting a signal because it's being interrupted by the brake light switch. So the best way to do that is go in, talk to the service manager, ask to have the technician ride with you, get him out in the car, show him exactly how you get to do it, say, okay, you see how I hit the brakes? Okay, you see how I, that's what I want fixed fix right there, that. And getting mad is not going to get it. Arguing with them is not going to get it. You just got to be firmly polite, go in and say, hey, guys, you know, I've really want to work with you on this but i've got to get this fixed i've been back twice already and most of them if they think you're willing to still be a customer they're going to jump over backwards to try to get you happy right so you say hey i love my toyota my wife's looking for a car i'd like to buy a toyota again i'd like to buy it here but you know i really need to get this problem fixed and i think they should be able to fix that for you and really shouldn't charge you a whole lot more because they've pretty much already charged you for diagnosing the problem they just didn't get it right the first time Right. Well, I, you know, I can understand the difficulty in finding electrical problems. It can be hard. I can understand that. But, you know, when when you leave the dealership the first time you turn it on and start to work. You oh, very aggravating. Yeah. Very, very aggravating. But I would go back and just talk with the service manager this time and just tell him what you got. See if he'll get somebody to ride with you. Show him what you got. Because he may not even be trying the same way you're trying. He may be just getting there pushing the button without hitting the brake. And he may have a problem in the brake circuit, so he's just not seeing it. Right. Gotcha. All righty. Okay. Thanks for your help. Okay, Mike. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Matt online. Good morning, Matt. Hey, Matt, I'm sorry I can't hear you. got too much background, background noise. Let me go ahead and take another call. Maybe you can get on another phone line. All right, we got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Yes, sir. Enjoy your show. Thank you. A little nuisance problem, and just wondered if it would turn into something serious. Mm-hmm. On an O2 Buick, this car, a uh, full-size Buick, the time delay shut down on this little interior light mm-hmm. is getting longer and longer. Okay. 
And I just wonder, it's tied into so many things probably, but I just wonder, is this going to develop into something real serious that I need to catch now? I get calls at night saying that the light's in my car on, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) it does go out after a few minutes. Yeah. Now, there's a little thumb wheel on where you can set that, or a little slide where you can set that. Is it possible that's getting moved? No, I fool with everything like that that, mm-hmm. a, that a common person could. Yeah, if all of that is not getting moved or tampered with, then it would either have to be the switch is getting increased resistance because it's just a little variable resistor that sends a signal to the body module or the body module itself for some reason. More likely the switch, but you'd have to hook a scan tool to it and read what it's okay, showing. Okay. But it probably thinks you're requesting a longer time. Well, is it going to... It probably will. ...would develop into anything Yeah, if it's else? getting longer and longer and you're not moving the control, I would say it definitely will. I don't think it'll turn into anything major, but I, you know, like it may maybe be the headlights may go out or something on you. Yeah, like make the headlights go out or... Could. <laughs> it could, yes, yeah, sir, depending on what it is. But if it is just that little rheostat switch, I don't think that's a terribly expensive repair to make. Well, there's no, uh, like, little simple relay in that fuse No, a relay can't extend the time. What it is, see, it's got a little slide switch, which is a variable resistor. uh As you slide it, it increases resistance. Well, more resistance to the computer means longer time. So if the resistance starts getting higher, let's say it's got a bad connection and the resistance gets higher, it thinks you've slid the switch over Mm -hmm. because it can't differentiate that. It just knows there's more resistance, so extend it out this much longer. Had the car since day one, so mm-hmm. this is original. Yeah, I hate that feature. I don't know why they even put that on cars. Well, I guess maybe some people like it, but yeah, well, I always just, turn it off on my cars. I don't. How, how can you turn it off? You can slide it all the way to one side, and that turns some off. Some of them it does not. If it doesn't yeah. turn it off, I go in behind the switch and just cut the wires. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me, you know. <laughs> well, no, I'd be satisfied with that, that as a solution, you know. I mean, it, it's... Uh, I'm not advocating it, that or anything. No, no, I, I understand, but it's kind of just a nuisance. It is. Have, you know, a neighbor call and says, hey... The, that's right. And then you know it's going to go out so... Up Mark, I would get that checked. It's not a big deal to check. And if you don't want to buy a switch and you want to bypass it, there may be a way you can bypass it fairly easy. Okay, well, listen, thank you very All much. All right, man. And enjoy your show. Uh-huh, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. And we're going to try Matt again. Matt, you still there? Yeah. Okay, good. My question is about changing coolant in engines. Okay. okay. Now, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. and I realized cars are a lot different these Yes, sir, days. much different. But do you pretty much handle the change into the same way? No, almost completely different now, Matt. I've got an article on my website. In fact, there's several. But one is just go in on the search bar, type in the word coolant, and it's going to bring up an article that goes into very, very great detail on how to do it. As a very brief overview What you have to do is you have to try to drain as much of the coolant from it as you can, which may involve removing the block plugs to get the coolant that's in the engine out. Second thing is you have to use the coolant recommended by the manufacturer because there are literally dozens of different coolants, and they're not compatible. They're all ethylene glycol, but the corrosion protection is totally different on them. So if you start mixing coolants or using the universal stuff, you end up with big problems. Last thing is you got to make absolutely sure you pre-mix the coolant with distilled water before you pour it into the engine. Don't pour the coolant in, pour the water on top, because in some engines it won't mix. It won't mix? No, okay. sir. In some it might, but in a lot it won't. Uh, you don't have flow in the engine block. You just have thermal rise and fall, and it only flows in the head. So the coolant's heavier than water. It goes to the bottom of the block, and the water goes around the head. But you got to use distilled water, not city water. City water's got chlorine. It's got fluorides. It's got all kinds of silicates in it, so that can end up severely damaging the system 
And I guess the biggest thing, of course, it may be too late for this, but you always want to change the coolant before it's depleted because you can never get 100% out without taking the motor out of the car. So if you don't wait until it's totally depleted and you change it, then the little bit that remains is not going to hurt anything too much. Now, you don't want to wait until it's eating the system up and then go in you know, seven years out and try to change it. You want to go in there and change it probably around three or four years the first time and probably every three years thereafter. But go in and read that article. It'll give you an insight into changing coolant. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, thanks very much. Okay, Matt. Thanks, Carl, man. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Will online. Good morning, Will. Yes, how you doing, Louis? Doing great, man. Look, I got a 95 miles. The old dom would have quit working at 158,000 miles, but the speed operator was still working fine. What would be that problem? Most of the time, if the odometer goes out, Will, and the speedometer still works, it's going to be in the little head, in the speedometer head itself. And Ford had a lot of trouble, and I think that Mazda may use a Ford-type speedometer. There's some little gears in there, little tiny gears that make that odometer work, and those little gears break. Uh-huh. And what model Mazda is it? B2300, I think. Yeah, a little pickup. Yes, yeah, right. same That's as a Ranger, Ranger pickup. I tell you, if you are incredibly handy... <laughs> You can actually go on eBay, and they got those little gears for sale. Now, I'm not sure the average bear is going to be able to go in there and change them because it's kind of tricky. But, I mean, if you're pretty handy, they sell those little gears. And okay. you can go and place them. If you just don't want to fool with it, you can pull the speedometer head out and send it off. There's a number of people around the country that will rebuild them for you at a fairly modest charge. Yeah, which you figured that would be probably about just guessing. Uh, if you pull it out yourself and send it off, probably a hundred, hundred twenty-five dollars, they'll rebuild it for you. Oh, okay. And you can buy the gears for about thirty bucks. But like I said, it's kind of diff, yeah, it's kind of delicate stuff. Right. Uh, All righty. Oh, sure, appreciate it, bro. Okay, yeah, man. Thank you. Bye, bye. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Kim online. Good morning, Kim. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I'm calling on behalf of my mother and my aunt. Okay. They have a 2003 Mazda minivan. Mm-hmm. They bought it used. I believe it has about 150,000 miles okay. on it. When they depress the accelerator, mm-hmm. it sticks. So it, it kind of gooses it when they take off. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's kind of hard to press and then it goes real fast. Yes. I tell you what, Kim, almost every time, that's going to be a dirty throttle body. And what happens, the way a modern car works is that it's got a little blade in the throttle body that when it, you mash the pedal, it actually opens up, and that lets air into the motor. Now, when air goes in, the computer says, hey, we got too much air, it adds fuel, and the car speeds up. What happens is that you have another system called EGR, exhaust gas recycle. That pumps exhaust gas into the intake. That exhaust gas has a lot of carbon in it, and it builds up around the base of that throttle body. So the little blade sticks. So when you go to mash the gas, it kind of binds. You give it a little more pressure, and wham, it slams wide open. So boom, it takes off. Mm-hmm. But almost every time, that's what that problem is. Relatively minor thing to fix. I mean, you have to maybe take the throttle body off in some cases. Some cases not. There's a special cleaner made for cleaning that, and you get in and you clean all the carbon out, and then that would almost always take care of that problem. But like a point, uh, like electron or something of that sort to the gas tank is not the answer. I wouldn't think so, no ma'am. Okay, because that's what my my aunt is trying to do, and I don't know, it just didn't sound right to me. Mm-mm, no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't add so. anything to it. No, that See, anything you add to the fuel tank is not going to get to that because nothing flows through there except air. The gas uh-huh. doesn't get to the throttle body. Gas is in the injectors, which is about a foot away. 
It's definitely in the throttle body. The mechanism. Well, that's what it sounds I, like. That's what it sounds like. Right. I mean, there are other things that can do that. A bad airflow meter can make the car bog down and do that. A bad engine mount can make the engine pick up. I mean, I hadn't seen the car. I can't say definitively, but I can say from what you're describing, that's a very common thing. And if you got a fix that's probably less than $50, $60 to fix, why do you want to start looking for anything more complicated? Right, right. <laughs> you know, I would go have that checked first off for certain before I did anything else. Because almost anything else you do is going to cost more money and have a lot less chance of fixing something. Well, I've been telling them I, I haven't brought a vehicle to your place, but mm-hmm. I've listened to your show, and when something happens, I'm coming to you. Well, there you go. My mom and my aunt to go see y'all. Yeah, that's probably a relatively minor thing. All right, probably take maybe 30, 45 minutes to diagnose it. At most, probably take about 10, 15 minutes to diagnose it and probably 30, 45 minutes to fix it. Okay. If that's what it is. You know, it could be something else, but most likely that's it. Okay, well, right. I'm going to have them go check you out. All righty. Okay, Kim, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Bye-bye. we got to take one last quick little break. Mike, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks standoff Louisiana one, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And Mike's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Yes, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. Since you were talking about radiators and mm-hmm. coolant, yes, sir. I had a question. I've got a 68 Chevy C10 truck Okay. that I'm replacing the radiator. I've got a new radiator for it. Good. Uh, the truck had been sitting for a while, so mm-hmm. we put a flush cleaner in there that they said, let's sit, run it, let it sit, run it, run it, let it sit. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've done that. But is there a certain, since I'm going back with the old-type radiator, which mm-hmm. is brass and copper, I guess, Okay. is there a certain coolant that I need to use compared to the, today's coolants? Well, that would take just about any coolant, Mike, because that, it's basically old ethylene glycol, what they call a silicate-type coolant that went in it originally. The biggest thing I would want to do, so I don't like those flushes because a lot of them are caustic, and I just don't like using them. We just make real, definitely, definitely sure you get every little bit of that out of and yeah. thoroughly flush the thing with water several times. Is that a V8 engine, Mike? No, it's straight six, 250. Inline six. Yeah. Should have a block plug, I think, down on one side or the other of the engine where you can drain the engine block. Mm-hmm. If not... You can get to the freeze plugs on the side to block pretty easy. What I would probably do is knock one of those freeze plugs out if it doesn't have a block plug 
and get in there and just wash that really, really, really well. You just don't want to have any caustics remaining that might end up eating your new radiator and stuff up. Gotcha. If not, what you could also do is go in and put the fresh coolant in and mix it with distilled water, run it for about 30 days, and then just come back and do it again. I mean, antifreeze is relatively cheap, and antifreeze right. cleans really well. It's going to pick up everything that's in there. If you get on the Internet, you can find a filter to go in the mm-hmm. upper hose to filter mm-hmm. anything that comes out of the engine block before it goes into the radiator. That's right. Those are excellent little products. I think uh, Gano, G-A-N-O, makes those little filters. Mm-hmm. Okay. They you, are wonderful. You can put one of those there. If you've right. got any corrosion in that engine block, you don't want it to break up and then get in your new radiator. Right, because it'll plug that radiator a whole lot faster than it's going to plug anything else Yeah, up. that's right. Gotcha. Gotcha. But other than that, I mean, regular antifreeze, just any, you want to make sure you get a good grade of antifreeze because there's a lot of cheap antifreeze on the market that doesn't meet the SAE spec. You want to have, there's, I don't remember the exact SAE specification off the top of my head. You look at my website and it'll tell you what it is, but you want to make sure it says at least heavy duty antifreeze on the bottle. And if you get a good brand name, you should be good, but almost any of the green stuff will work fine in that old of a model. All right. That's what I needed to know. All righty. Thank y'all. Thank All you, right, man. Bye bye. Two nine one sixty nine oh one. We still got a few minutes. You want to sneak a call in? That's right. And should you have missed that next few minutes, you can always get your questions answered on our website. That's right. The address is agcoauto.com. That's a g c o a u t o dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within twenty four hours. That's right. And while you're on there, you might want to look through the detailed topics. Lots and lots of good information. If you notice, several of the callers who call today, I referred them back to the website. Correct. There are articles on just about all those topics because those articles come from all the calls we've gotten over the last 22 years. Sure, just go to the search bar and type whatever you're looking for mm-hmm. into it, and it's going to bring you up a list of articles and questions and answers, and all of it's there, and it's not going to cost you a dime. Yeah, it's all free, and it's all unbiased information. Nobody has a axe to grind or anything to say because we get a lot of times folks will actually call us and say, well, do y'all sell such stuff? No, we don't sell anything. Exactly. We're an auto repair shop. We do not sell stuff on the Internet. We do not push product on anybody. We do mention certain products that we find work really well, and even that's pretty limited. But put an article on this morning on how to check fuel volume. There was one last week on how to check fuel pressure. Correct. Fuel pressure and fuel volume are very related. But between those two, you can diagnose quite a few uh, difficult running problems. Correct. So a good article. If you get serious about working on your own car and you want to try to start learning a little bit about diagnosis, this is probably the first place you want to start. Oh, most definitely. Understand how a fuel pressure and volume test works. Agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you really like it. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate those written ratings. Move us up so other folks can find us and just makes our day. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.